the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast is just two guys and maybe a guest or two discussing Bitcoin, Bitcoin equities, and the related macroeconomic space. It's not meant to be financial advice. So please, if you're doing any investing after listening to our program, do your own research, do your own due diligence, and understand that any money you invest can be lost. The show is meant for entertainment purposes only, and we hope you enjoy the program. Friends and enemies, welcome back to a very early morning Saturday rip here at 10 a.m. East Coast time. Just having a coffee. I've already walked the dog. I've worked out. And in uh, for me anyway, typical Saturday fashion, I'm back in my Lululemon leisure wear from the waist down, which you will not be seeing. My guest today, the one, the only QTR, Chris Irons is here. First though, the sponsors. We got two. Easy DNS. You guys know Mark. You love Mark. Big friend of the show. The Friendly Neighborhood Domain Registrar. We use our, uh, we, we run all our stuff through EasyDNS, CanadianBitcoiners.com, IWantBitcoin.ca. All our newsletter stuff, the posts, the blogs, the stuff about the podcast for the coming week, all through EasyDNS. They got everything you need over there for virtual private server stuff. So if you want to do, there's like four things on this list. Bitcoin Node, Nostra Relay, BTC Pay Server, and Nodeless implementations even if you want. DPG and PGP email. They'll help you bring over your stuff from your subpar provider to the service provider you want over to EasyDNS. Use our promo code. I think it's CBP Media. But uh, if not, you can catch them in the chat. Tell them we sent you. Hit them on Twitter at StumpHope. Tell them we sent you. Looking forward to seeing what you guys start over there. And then the second sponsor, oh, Bull Bitcoin. The best, man. The best place to buy Bitcoin in Canada. KYC free. If you don't want to give up your name, your address, your blood type, your SIN number, I think ShakePay even makes you send a video yourself now to verify. Insane. Don't do any of that stuff. Go to IWantBitcoin.ca, register with a name. Notice I said a name, not your name. Head over to the Shoppers Drug Mart near your house, in your neighborhood, or any Canada post. Bring cash, bring your QR code, scan it, use LoadHub. The person behind the desk will look at you funny. It doesn't matter what they think, okay? Uh, you can buy your Bitcoin KYC free. And of course, they're non-custodial, so you don't have to worry about rug pulls or... You know, someone telling you later there's some more shotgun KYC. We've seen that a number of times. You don't want any of this stuff. And bull Bitcoin, make sure it doesn't happen to you. And then, of course, too, if you want, if you really want to get off some of your Bitcoin, I don't know why you'd want to do that. You can pay your bills, man. Phone bill, electric bill, mortgage, university tuition, anything. Basically, anything except street-side pharmaceuticals, uh, you can pick up um, <laughs> through the bills the bills portal of bull Bitcoin. So go there, IWantBitcoin.ca, or use the promo code. It'll be in the description. So I'm going to bring on QTR here, Chris Irons. Now, Chris, first of all, I want to welcome you to the show. This is an interesting What is up? What, what are you, lying down? I'm just chilling in bed. Yeah. That's great. I love it. I love it. So it's good. It's well, good it's Saturday you. morning. It's Saturday morning. <laughs> you know, I, I, I govern the amount of um, effort I put into doing guest appearances. No offense to you or to Peter, who I was on his thing the other day. You know, but at the end of the day, I don't want to be Mr. Podcast Guest. That's not, you know, I know everybody's begging for their like, you know, their, their two, uh, their 15 minutes of fame. I just don't care that much. Uh, okay. You know? let me tell you so something. it was like, you, it's Saturday. I'm fucking taking the interview from bed. I don't care. You said on Pete's show that the re that you thought everyone was begging you to come on their podcast because we wanted to show you off. I'm going to tell you why people want you on your show. In the thing you wrote, Why I Bitcoin. You talk about a lot of the stuff you read and listened to and watched, you know, as part of your 15 hours. And I would guess a lot more stuff to help get yeah. you over the hump. Chris, we want you to be the guy that helps get 
other people over the hump later on, buddy. That's what we want. I we don't want you want to be part of the content thing. Why not? I don't because uh, first off, I'm fucking lazy. Okay, <laughs> that's the first reason. I, my days of advocating for things are over. That's you know, I gave a name to my apathy in like 2008, and it was called libertarianism. When I first started <laughs> listening to Ron Paul, I was like, wow, this sounds exactly like me. I don't give a shit what anybody does as long as everybody leaves me alone. And I remember like that was a profound realization. I was like, there's a political party out there for that. That's what I'm in. Whatever it is, it also happened to be the party where, you know, they abide by the constitution and Ron Paul happened to be the candidate in that race who was the only one telling the truth. Uh, so that was, those were nice added bonuses. You know, the fact that <clears throat> he had an untarnished voting record uh, for going dating back like 40 years and he had been married to the same woman for 40 years and involved with the same church for 40 years. It's like, all right, well, happened to pick a, you know, a stance that is rooted in integrity and a, and a uh, somebody that's advocating for it, you know, some, an example of it. Still think Ron Paul is like one of the last great American heroes. And uh, so <clears throat> what's the point? The point is I don't want to be convincing people of anything. And it's not just Bitcoin. It's about where to live. It's about what to invest in. It's about what political party they should be involved with. I just don't care. I know how I get down. I know what's important to me. And that's what I focus on because I'm 41. You know, I'm not gonna be around like too much longer. I'm just focus on my shit. You know, you young fucks like you, man. I'm okay. First you, of all, up not, in the I'm, morning. Not much, I'm 37. We're not that far apart. We're, oh, are we're you? Close. Yeah, we're close. Jesus, you look like you're about 13. Well, the important well, thing anyways. is good woman, lots of water and lots of sleep. Now, now, Chris, the reason I said that I think you're going to help people get over and, and brought up some of the stuff that you We're not doing the interview about. from bed this morning is what I'm, I'm trying not to doing say. It from, I'm not doing it from bed, but I know a guy who is- I feel important. like Grandpa Joe in uh, Willy Wonka, you know? <laughs> you decrepit, decrepit. I, I got a surprise for you this morning. I'm sorry. There's a guy, there's a guy that- uh, helped you get over the hump and a guy I happen to have the contact info for and I invited him to sit with us this morning. Oh yeah, what's up, dude? <laughs> so, Chris, you're laying in bed. I'm, right sitting here, I'm sitting here in my fucking workout clothes. <clears throat> I just did a CrossFit workout and I didn't have time to shower. <laughs> Joey reached I didn't do shit today. Joey, so you you going to you go to BJJ later or no? No, I'm actually you know me, me and you were friends obviously off the air. So I you know you know, I work out like six or seven days a week usually, and uh, I'm I'm in New Jersey today, and I had an opportunity to just take a couple of days and take the weekend and just eat and do nothing. And I decided like it would really be good to give my body a rest for three. I I beat the fuck out of my body. I mean, I run like 30, 40 miles a week, and then I train and whatever. And so, um, I'm taking giving myself a three day little vacation here. I, like it. I had cheese its for breakfast. I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay, so Larry, Chris has mentioned you a bunch of times uh, right. in the in the spots he's done with Pete, the stuff he writes on French Finance, which everyone should be reading. Talk to me a bit, the two of you guys. How did how did you get him over the hump, Larry? Because I I'll, I'll tell you, we reached out to Chris on this show about two years ago to do the Bear Cave episodes. We wanted to find people who we thought were competent, had a lot in common with us, but couldn't figure out the Bitcoin thing for whatever reason. We had Doomberg, Mike Green, and then no one else wanted to do it. Yeah. And Chris was the guy we wanted to have on. We couldn't schedule it. And now here you are on this air as, you know, a guy who's wearing the orange shirt now. So how did you get him over the hump? What was the well, thing that did it? And well, Chris, it, talk to me a little bit about your, your you know, yeah, I don't know about coming that. around I don't, on I don't this. think any great credit. I mean, you know, 
But a couple things I'll just say. Chris is super, super smart, and he's super open-minded, and he's humble. And I think that's actually one of the more um, necessary traits to understand Bitcoin. I think that's why Peter Schiff and who I like, you know, but, um, you know, Mike Green and some of these other guys can't get there because they've just got so much of their ego tied up in the way they view the world. And one of the things you read when you read Chris's blog, I, I love the way it is. Says, hey, look, I'm just a dummy. This is just my view. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times. And I think, you know, he's got an intellectual honesty and curiosity that led me to believe he was searching for the truth. So. Um, you know, it's funny when Chris and I first met, I heard his podcast. I loved him. I was like, God, this guy's a fucking genius. He's, I feel like he's my brother. I, I got to get on this podcast. And I, I wrote him and said, Hey man, will you have me on your podcast? He's like, hell, who the hell are you? <laughs> and, and eventually, but eventually I got to follow me on Twitter and realize, Hey, we were kind of similar minded. And so we got to be friends, but, and I always just kind of knew he would come around just as I actually think these other guys will. I mean, I did an hour and a half with Chris and Pete Schiff. And, you know, I don't remember if, if you remember it, Chris, but there are parts of that conversation where I thought Peter was kind of conceding a few points. And, you know, it wouldn't even surprise me if some of these guys who say that, I mean, I think part of his gold stick is a marketing thing for his gold business. Um, and, you know, a lot of people follow him as a result of that. And so I wouldn't even be surprised. I mean, I know guys who are really anti-Bitcoin, but they're now starting to get the FOMO. And it's kind of like, like I was with some fellows last night and they're kind of like, gee, you know, maybe I ought to have a little bit of this, you know. Um, and so so it was pretty it was pretty straightforward. And, and I will also say it was a process. It wasn't, you know, I think I think Chris went from, you know, uh, I don't believe it. And, you know, and, 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 you know, to be fair, there was a lot of noise and bullshit in this space, which sent people away from it. I mean, Sam Bankman Freed and, and shit coins did more damage to Bitcoin than anybody can imagine. I mean, when I talk to the average finance normie, that's right where they go. This thing is full of fraud. I'm not touching it, you know. And um, and as we all know, there is some. There's a lot of fraud in crypto, but Bitcoin's not crypto. So you got to make the distinction, right? Chris, so I don't know, Chris. I mean, what, what you know? <laughs> no. What convinced you? I mean, I I kept coming at it from, with different. I was angles. listening to your. Uh, <clears throat> I was out for a run. I don't know. Maybe it's just right time, right place. You know, yeah. I was out for a run. I was running up Montreal and uh, Montreal. And I heard your Palisades Gold Radio thing from December 2022, which is the Fed is mathematically assured to pivot, I think it's called. And I would just listened to the way that you described it then. And I just had a, I just had a, like, not an epiphany, but I had a, I wrapped my head around it in a way that I hadn't before. And it was just your analogs to the internet. And, you know, like I said, on Peter's show, I, I have a little uh, background in computers. I was a computer science major for, you know, half a semester before I decided I was going to focus my efforts mostly on drinking beer in college. <laughs> and uh, so I got it a little bit, but it was those analogs that you drew to the internet and maybe just kind of think, you know, it just felt like there was something else out there. I listened to you talk about it. I listened to Lynn Alden. I listened to Luke Groman talk about it. I listened to James Lavish. I listened to all these people that I know are smarter than me because I listen to their takes on macro and they make a lot of sense. And uh, so it, it was just foolish for me to to continue kind of just avoiding looking into it further. You know, it's like I said to Joey. You know, I'm just lazy sometimes. And uh, and I think that was part of it. I had to be ready. You know, I said on Peter's show a couple of days ago, you know, guys like Max Kaiser turned me off to it immensely. 
immensely when I watched him versus Schiff. And, you know, we, we can talk about Schiff. Schiff's a guy that I, re- I respect. I think he's a genius. I think he is uh, – I think his understanding of the, the founding principles of the country and the history of the United States uh, is unmatched. I think it is on a savant level. Um, and I think he is a great reference point for libertarians when it comes to government and, you know, the, the, the way that taxation is supposed to work and the way that the government works. And so I have immense respect for him and I've been friends with him for years. And while we've had, you know, a, a, a dust up here or there, um, when he sat down with Kaiser, I was thinking to myself, hey, you know, this, and I approach everything with an open mind. I was thinking to myself, all right, like, who's going to make the point here? These two are, they're the heads of their states for their respective arguments. So somebody's going to have to hash out some type of argument that makes more sense than the other one. And what I saw was Max Kaiser acting like an absolute maniac. And as a short seller and somebody that looks to cults and, you know, unsophisticated retail to guide the way to companies that are often over levered, have terrible business models, are outright scams, are cash-burning entities. Um, I saw a microcosm of that in Max in the way that he was acting. Like I said on Peter's show, I respect Max. You know, I, I give him the utmost credit for being an advocate for it and going full maximalist and um, and being early and making himself a shitload of money for it. But, you know, in my opinion, there's no amount of money that anybody can make that justifies acting like a fucking lunatic. And that's just... That's just my opinion. You know, if, if you're some people think because you got a trillion dollars, you can boss boss around your waitress. You know, I'm not one of those people. I, to me, it doesn't matter whether I have 10 cents in my bank account or 10 billion dollars. I'm going to treat people the same way. I'm going to try to act relatively close to the same way. And uh, and so his behavior in that debate where he got up and started screaming and shouting and panting and fucking throwing papers and screaming in Peter Schiff's face while Peter Schiff is sitting there, you know, ostensibly trying to have a legitimate discussion and get the facts out there, um, you know, but it was a Bitcoin conference and people were hooting and hollering for Max. And I was just like, this is a fucking circus. He's a fucking clown show, you know? <clears throat> and so, you know, sucks for me that I didn't do the research then because, you know, I'd be up 50x or whatever, but that is what it is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I turned my attention back to it when I did. Just to your other point about, you know, Peter's uh, gold shtick being a shtick, you know, Peter owns, uh, Peter has a gold company because of how he feels about monetary policy. It's not the other way around. He didn't, Peter didn't start a, uh, uh, Peter didn't start a gold company and then become an Austrian economist. Peter Schiff is an Austrian economist and a libertarian first, and that's why he started a gold company. Peter truly believes the dollar is in full collapse and the U.S. is heading for a massive sovereign debt crisis. I mean, I've read everything he's written, and I've met him in person enough, and I've sat down and listened to him talk after multiple you know, Manhattans enough to know that he is through and through the guy that he comes off as. And I think he genuinely believes that bitcoin is worthless he reminds me i was talking to larry about this he reminds me of sailor a lot in some ways obviously they don't agree on bitcoin putting that aside listening to 30 hours or 40 hours of sailor over the last uh two three weeks and knowing peter schiff they they both come off as they both come off as 
um, wholeheartedly 105% convicted that they're right. And they both have this tick that where it feels like they both have an incessant need plaguing at them for other people to see things the way that they see it. I don't mean it in a bad way. I don't mean they're, they're forcing their views on people, but just that, that it just makes so much sense to them. Bitcoin makes so much sense to sailor gold makes so much sense to Peter. You know, they both probably agree on 99 out of a hundred things when it comes to the state of the global economy and the, you know, worthlessness of fiat currency. But they both have, you know, Peter Schiff has called me on a Saturday at 11 p.m. to argue with me about a tweet that I put out <laughs> about, you know, Zelensky wearing a suit in front of Congress. And I'm like, dude, you're worth like what? You know, like $100 million or something? Like, what the fuck are you calling me for? Like, I'm at a family barbecue. You know, like, <laughs> it's Saturday, you know? <clears throat> and that's just the kind of dude he is. He really does believe what he is saying. And I, and I think they're both people of integrity. And, um, <clears throat> I think there's a spot for both. So I don't think the gold thing is a shtick. Does it inhibit his, um, does it inhibit his, you know, Bitcoin requires a, just a little bit of a leap of faith too. And so does it inhibit his ability to perhaps try to take that leap of faith? Because there is risk and we could talk about all this stuff, but uh, maybe, maybe, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's, I don't think it's keeping them up at night. Where, I think he really do you, does. I mean, you guys are both gold guys and I'm Italian. So I'm kind of a gold guy sort of. Uh, but the thing I would just ask you guys is like, what, what do you, what do you think the, the gap is for a lot of the guys who are gold, but not Bitcoin? You guys are both gold and Bitcoin. I think that's a fine position well, to have. I, gold, I has, problem. <clears throat> gold has 5,000 more years of history to back it up. So let's just start with that. If you're looking, you know, sailor always talks about Bitcoin's the bedrock, you know, it's, it's New York city before they started building on it. It's the land, it's the tectonic plates, you know, well under that is gold, you know, like at at the end of the day, do I still believe that gold is the, uh, that gold is the end all be all even after Bitcoin? Yes. I think there'll be a spot for both of them. I don't think gold is going to go to zero or lose its value or not be money. You just don't shift the gears and change 5,000 years of, uh, of gold's track record as a store of value. You know, there's a reason central banks hold gold um, because it's as close as we can get to the, to the end all be all. And so uh, I forgot what the question was. Larry, say something. <laughs> well, Look, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of debate about how fast Bitcoin will take share from gold and how much share. And I mean, I, the way I think I look at it is that, that Bitcoin is, I, I like Paul Tudor Jones, who says Bitcoin's the fastest horse in the monetary debasement race. But there really are two horses and gold is one of a horse, one horse. And I call gold analog sound money. I call Bitcoin digital sound money. Yeah. And Bitcoin's a faster horse because it's got two things going for it. I mean, the one thing that drives both of these investments is just the fact that the government's in deep shit and as chris said we're going to have a sovereign debt crisis and you know the dollar's value relative to stuff is going down because they can't stop printing it so that's that's the overlying macro theme that we're all playing gold guys and bitcoin guys so in in some ways we've we've got the same macro bet the difference is that bitcoin is is also going through an adoption cycle which chris alluded to earlier reminds me very much of the internet 
where it feels to me like we're kind of at roughly that 10% tipping point, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book. And if you, if you see, if you look at that tipping point in, you know, cars, TVs, radios, cell phones, you know, whatever, computers, when you get to that 10% tipping point, the adoption really tend, often accelerates and kind of goes hard for a while until it becomes pretty ubiquitous. And so um, I feel like Bitcoin is, is at or turning that 10% corner. And therefore, you know, it's likely to run harder than gold, but that doesn't make gold worthless. Um, as Chris points out, you know, 8 billion people, I mean, you can walk into almost any country in this world with a gold coin and people know it's money. Um, you know, good luck, you know, with your lightning wallet trying to send somebody some sats. I mean, you know, look, a lot of people will accept them, but not 8 billion. <laughs> and so, so they'll, they'll, they'll coexist. You know, they're, they're both, um, they're both on the, on the same team, in my view, team sound money, uh, and, and they'll coexist and, and they should be, they should be kind and friendly to each other. I mean, I, I hate the Bitcoiners who are like, you know, gold's the enemy. No, it's not. Fiat's the enemy. I mean, the, the government's the enemy. You know? And that's the kind of shit that turned me right, right. off. Like exactly. I knew Alex Mashinsky was a fucking fraud from day one, but putting that aside, when I listened to him debate Peter Schiff and he said things like, you know, Bitcoin has a yield and gold has no value. That was an exact quote from him. Like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Gold has no value. Like, you know what I mean? If you want to be a fraudster, at least have some fucking finesse. I mean, that'd be like me coming out and telling you the Atlantic Ocean is made out of lava. You know, like it's just something you say and immediately you know that this person is somewhere else, that they're rooted in some type of other reality. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think that kind of stuff does such a such a disservice. Right. To, uh, it really did. At least yeah. And, and, and they're gold guys who, you know, understandably are very turned off by all that stuff. I mean, gold people are pretty conservative. They're generally libertarian, yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, and then and they see all this shiny new stuff and they hear all this fraudulent shit and, and they're, mm -hmm. they're, their antennae go up. And rightly so. I mean, the way I got through it, because you know, I my antennae went up originally, but the way I got through it was when and I think it was Sailor that helped me to see this and others. But was the notion that this thing really is an invention of digital scarcity. And when I kind of understood that, that, you know, humankind had finally invented a, a form of digital scarcity that was immutable and um, had never really been invented before. We've never had anything in the world. There's never been a commodity with a fixed supply before, ever. You know, even gold grows at 1.6% a year in terms of supply. And if gold, you know, go ahead, Chris. But that in and of itself isn't what gives it value because no, that's if right. you can create, no, it's, it's you can create digital scarcity with Bitcoin, yeah. you can fork it off and make a million different things. So it's that and it's the fact that the network has the, the way the, the way that the network works, but the fact that it's has grown, it is almost a it is almost a too big to fail type of thesis, which is something I had danced around a little bit in the past. You know, I had asked Peter, when I did that podcast, what am I buying when I buy Bitcoin? You got to be able to explain it to somebody uh, in one sentence. And we were tossing around ideas and nobody was really able to come up with something. But somebody wrote in this morning or yesterday when I was reading the comments, you know, you're just exchanging one currency for another. And that that to me is a good, simple one line description of what you're doing when you buy Bitcoin. You're you're you're. You, it's it's an exchange rate. It's an exchange rate between exactly. the dollar and between the first widely adopted digital money that has ever existed, and uh, and it will continue to be prominent if people want to continue to use it. And so, 
to your point before, the fact that we're still early in adoption, <clears throat> you know, comparative to the internet, this would be, we would be using a 9,600 baud modem here. Like that's how early we are. Uh, Cause you have all the layers and all this other bullshit. But uh, <clears throat> the fact that the adoption is so early on doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't leave me any questions about whether or not the adoption is going to continue. We, you know, the wind is at its back now. When you have Franklin Templeton out there and and iShares doing your bidding for you, uh, you know, the, the war is kind of already won. You know, you've kind of won with the regulators. You've kind of won with Wall Street already. It's still on day one of a, you know, of a thousand in terms of adoption for Wall Street. And there's a lot of fucking money out there. You know, there's a lot of money out there. And yeah. so, uh, you know, another podcast I was listening to yesterday said it may, may not be around for 50 years or 100 years or 200 years, but, you know, for as long as it lasts, you know, you're going to want to be involved. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, wow, all right. Like, we've been off the gold standard for only 50 years. So, you know, look at what's happened to the dollar since then and how much longer is the dollar going to, you know, does it, do you need to come to peace with the fact that it's going to be around forever or for a thousand years? Peter said, one of the questions you're still thinking about is durability. <clears throat> I listen to sailors say all the time, it'll be here for a thousand years. I don't know. It's, it's a bit much, you know, like that's, that's a bit for a 13 year old brand new digital asset that can pretty closely be replicated by something else. But would I be far more confident in saying it's going to be here for five to 10 years at least? Absolutely. I think it's just getting started. And so thinking like Paul Tudor Jones, you want to be riding that horse when it comes out of the gate? Like I do. I think it's still, you know, we haven't even run the first quarter mile yet. Yeah. What are the other concerns you have? I mean, you can answer this too, Larry. You're, you're I, th I think, still a, a somewhat wet behind the ears, right? Compared to some of these 14, 13, 12 OGs. Uh, what are the concerns you guys have about this thing? I mean, when I, when I think about it, actually, I was out for Larry dinner with a couple first. of my good friends yesterday, and it's the same story all the time. It's, I can't buy anything with it. And to me, that speaks more about like maybe your fiat situation. Like you need to have some liquid cash, maybe more than other people do. Or you can't guarantee that the government's not going to take action against it. And you see that kind of in the mining and the, the sort of centralized nature of the industrial publicly listed miners right now, especially in, in the United States where you guys are. What other concerns should people have and do you guys have about this thing? What, like, what should people be looking out for in terms of like, this is a red flag, something we have to take action on ASAP? You want me to go first? I, so first of all, I was buying some in 2013 or 14. So I've had some hey. for a long time. Um, and, but I, you know, but I, but to be honest Tough with you, guy, huh? my, my, my concern was always, um, the technology. And if you actually go back and you look at, um, um, you know, I, I was meeting with some of the core developers at MIT back then and you, and you listen to them and they were concerned too, you know, and you had these block size wars and you had, you know, SegWit. And I mean, there were a lot, there were a lot of things that have improved it over its 15 year life. I mean, there was a time when it really was somewhat vulnerable, like it could have been 51% attack, the government could have shut it down. I mean, there, there are a lot of things. As Chris pointed out, I think we're beyond that now. Um, what I watch in terms, I, I watch the adoption metric, which is our dogs eating the food. I mean, you know, the, it's money because people think it's money and it's money because more people think it's money this year than last year. And if ever, if that were ever to change, you know, the number of addresses were to go down or the hash power were to go down or the number of transactions or transaction average size was to go down, I mean, if ever, if, if suddenly people just became bored with Bitcoin, like, ah, oh, yeah, who cares? If the number of use cases were to go down, anything that caused human beings to say, ah, I don't give a shit about this thing anymore, or if a better thing were to come along, that would concern me. 
Um, but but I don't I don't see any evidence of any of that stuff. And and of course, there's always the you know the catastrophic technical glitch. But at eight hundred thousand plus blocks, you know. Um, you know, in 15 years and no problems, you know, I, I don't I don't foresee that as being a likelihood. I've, I've got that down in the very, very, very small percentage category. So those are the two things that I kind of worry about and watch. And um, I don't know. What about you, Chris? How do you see it? Well, obviously, the loss of adoption is a huge deal. Right. But it's where we are now. And I think with the momentum behind it and the number of nodes growing and the hash rate growing and, you know, it would really be, it would, it would be like turning around an oil tanker. You know, you don't really just pop a 180 real quick. You would start to see, you would start to see the trends fall off a little bit. So uh, I do think Bitcoin is a, if the people want it, it'll happen story. And converse to that, I think if the people don't want it, it won't happen. I think it will uh, it will fall out of favor. But I think that there's so many people that haven't realized what what its benefits are, and so many people that still don't know what it is at all. Um, that I think we're a long way from that. I think it will hit. Uh, there will be a lot more adoption. I think before adoption slows. However, if adoption slowed, that would be an enormous uh, red flag. That would be something that uh, would definitely get me out. And I think at a point like that, you would see a, a move from Bitcoin to gold that would just rip faces off. Um, the other thing that worries me is the, you know, quantum computing and SHA-256 thing. Um, and so what you're, you know, obviously SHA-256 is the standard. It's been the standard forever. It's, you know, pretty much unbreakable. Um, you know, and with all of the uh, with all the ASIC silicon, you know, the Bitcoin network is extraordinarily powerful. But, you know, if a chip comes along, that's like, you know, putting 10,000 ASICs into one fucking piece of silicon and then you mint 10,000 of those, then all of a sudden you could have a really big problem. However, there's there's two, you know, counter arguments to that. One is, uh, you know, sailors kind of argument hey we'll get to that problem we'll deal with the problem when we get to it and you know if somebody were to achieve that type of quantum computing power that they would have much bigger fish to fry than hacking the bitcoin network both of those kind of make sense the second thing is that as adoption continues as you're seeing now with microstrategy who's turning into a bitcoin development company as the network grows and uh people are incentivized to protect it and so, you know, I think if you see one of these Middle Eastern countries come out and put, you know, $50 billion worth of balance, uh, Bitcoin on their balance sheet, um, they're going to have a vested interest in protecting the protocol in making sure that, you know, nobody is. Uh... And so <clears throat> as that prophecy kind of continues, what you hope for is you hope that Bitcoin has and Bitcoin and their developers and people that are uh, on the network and people that own Bitcoin have a seat at the uh, table that's at the forefront of computing one way or another so that when we make breakthroughs uh, in computing that uh, the network ad adapts quickly. And the good thing about that is, you know, you got a bunch of fucking dorks like stoked on Bitcoin, like a bunch of fucking computer nerds, like exactly the people, you know, no offense. I'm saying that obviously is a term of infection, um, but you got the right people, you know, <clears throat> you got hackers and fucking guys that sit in their basement with acne and, you know, you got the video gamers and, and the people that you want on your side, if it's going to come down to cyber warfare. So the only, the only, uh, the only question is, you know, could somebody kind of edge out 
on that forefront of what we're doing that that like at the margin line there could somebody edge out and make a huge leap in in quantum computing uh where where the bitcoin network couldn't very quickly adopt or there couldn't be some uh some way to kind of uh, adapt to that this is the same argument that michael Shermer makes about ufos and and new propulsion technology whether or not you know uh, the U.S. has some crazy way to uh, change the laws of propulsion for aircraft and whether they're bending gravity with things instead of using, you know, traditional uh, propulsion, traditional like jet propulsion. Um, and this is the discussion like in the UFO community. And one of the things that Shermer says is that, you know, China, Russia, the U.S., the major countries all throughout history have, for the most part, been you know just a couple weeks or a month from each other in terms of edging each other out as to what you know nobody has made any huge leaps that some other country hasn't very quickly uh, adopted or made themselves and that is because you know everybody's kind of spying on everybody else and so the the the, the quantum computing problem kind of reminds me of that in the sense that, that that's what you have to hope for you have to hope that um you know, that no single person is going to make some quantum computing breakthrough in their basement. And then if they do by themselves and nobody knows about it, are they going to want to attack the Bitcoin network first, which being digital cash, you know, that also makes some sense. So, so those are the things that right now I would consider that and maybe like the core developers turning, right, Larry? That's something you said. Yeah, I think the core developers, I mean, if you've got a quorum of core developers that went rogue, I mean, I, I think the odds of all these things are quite low, but they're not zero. You have to right. kind of consider the possibility of everything happening in the world. I mean, you know, an EMT thing that knocks out power in the internet for a long period of time, obviously would be bad. I mean, US government deciding to, you know, fine it, ban it, put people in jail if they use it. I mean, it'll survive because it's worldwide and no one government can kill it. but. They can throw sand in our face. I mean, there's, there's stuff, you know, there's stuff that can happen that's not great. Because, and they could start mining. They could start mining asteroids for gold too. Yeah, right? Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, you know, we, we can't even track an asteroid yet, much less think about how to get mining equipment on and pull the gold out. So, I, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of silly stuff that, you know, I, I my my investment time window is kind of five to ten years. You know, the quantum thing does bother me. I mean, I, I I've just been hacked recently. I've been talking to some computer people. <laughs> It's really amazing what they're doing in terms of, you know, how quickly AI can sort through passwords and so forth. I mean, um, you know, this security is going to be a big issue for the rest of our lives, you know, in all this digital stuff. So, but, you know, it, look, it, it's to me, to me, it's the most asymmetric bet out there right now. And that's why I'm a proponent of it. And I think that the government is, you know, also totally out of control. Um, which is why, yes. I was a, why I'm a proponent of gold. And so you kind of yeah. add those two things together. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't, you know, has there ever been a chance for the average guy to front run Wall Street the way these ETFs have given us that chance? I mean, you know, this this just kind of doesn't exist. It's like getting to buy Microsoft in 84, which I did, or 85 when it came public at 14 times trailing. It was growing 40% a year. You know, I mean, it, it, uh, and we all know what happened there. I mean, it, it you know, the thing's going up forever, Laura. I mean, it just, it just is. And what, I, what you know, you? I, I can, I, I mean, I, I have, I mean, there was a time when I thought, well, it'll make a hundred thousand easily and maybe it'll make a million. Now I think a hundred thousand probably happened this year. And I think a million mm-hmm. was, is within a couple of years and, and, and it just goes from there. I mean, it, it's, um, so I agree. Me, <clears throat> if you only have some of it, 
you know, you're really, you know, it's kind of like, what are you doing as an investor? Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, you got the best performing financial asset the last 15 years. You know, you can't afford to risk one or 2% of your, your exactly. assets on that. Yeah. You know? Isn't it true, Larry, that like, and, and Chris, I want you to take on this too, because you wrote about this a little bit. One of the things I've talked about on this show over the years is that I think we've crossed a bit of a Rubicon because of the awareness that just the average like Twitter user has about the money printer go burr. There's nobody in modern society that hasn't seen that anime printer thing running. Didn't see it during COVID. Didn't see it during, uh, you know, the, the last round of, uh, whether it was SVB or buy the fucking paper, like you say, Larry, or whatever, you know, new program these guys have to give money away to their buddies uh, and kind of throw dirt in the face of the average person. At, at this point, because of that awareness, don't you guys think that it's true that any action direct enough to Bitcoin to really discourage its use or its mining or holding it, wouldn't that be more a show of fear at this point Absolutely. than it would yeah. an intimidation yeah, factor? Like, this is what I and think. they can't, you, you know, it's, it's so obvious that they, they know that they can't stop it. And yeah. so it's, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of funny watching, you know, watching them crow about it. You know, he had the SEC approve the ETFs, and the next week Elizabeth Warren is saying we need to shut it down, and J- JP uh, Morgan, Jamie Dimon, saying the same thing. It's like, what, like, what are you doing? Like, Gary, Gary Gensler is tacitly endorsing it with the left hand, even though he went on CNBC and talked a lot of shit about it, while these other people are saying it's the worst thing that's ever happened on the right hand. It's like, all right, well, you know, I'm. I'm encouraged by the fact that Wall Street is getting fees off it now because now they have an interest in defending it. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, and I think they know. I think once you understand it, the idea of banning it is fruitless. And so, yeah, you know, they, like they'll, K, they'll KYC it. the shit out of it. You know, <laughs> like the, they'll do the, the do all the KYC AML stuff. I just got to notice before I logged on, you know, one of my accounts, update your shit. I get one every day. I feel like <laughs> I get, I get these things from the banks. Like, what do you do for a living? Where do you, where do you reside? Please update your address information. They'll go down that route where like, you know, you have all that shit and they're going to want your addresses and stuff, but like, and they'll tax it. But like, what the fuck is that going to mean when at 20 axis, who cares? You know, like, go ahead, tax it. Yeah. I, I bought it. I was first in line. I fucking, you know, it was legit. I bought it with funds that I got from being employed and I pay my taxes every year. What, what are you going to do? Gonna do? They can't, they, they can't turn it off. You know, it's not a Nintendo. They can't fucking like, you know, pull the plug. Like Timmy, you're not playing with the fucking Bitcoin anymore. You know? So that's yeah, one, like when I hear it anymore, like, like, like GameStop or AMC, right. They can't, they can't, mm-hmm. change, yeah. they can't change the rules in the middle of the game. I mean, Chris did a really great line um, post on a Substack recently where he talked about how, you know, this is what all those guys who are doing, you know, GameStop. I mean, this is this is the attack vector, right? Use this thing. You want to take this system down? Yeah. Use this thing, right? Um, okay, so what- safety in numbers. It's the yeah. technological, you know, it's the technological like braille for the saying there's safety in numbers. Because yeah. like I said on Peter's show, you get 10 million of these absolute fucking Wall Street bets, pissed off at the world, maniacs. <laughs> that watch the system go down in flames one way or the other. Either we'll hyperinflate or we'll have a deflationary depression. You can pick whatever one you'd like. Um, It will be televised now, of course, with the internet. And so it's going to make Occupy Wall Street uh, look like a fairy tale. When that happens, you're going to have all the Occupy people 
all the fucking Marxist idiots, all the dirty hippies that fucking were living in tents out in uh, what's it called? Zucchini park out there. Zuccotti <laughs> park, uh, you know, and all the guys like me and Larry still walking around with our Ron Paul for president, 2008 signs <laughs> all joined together and joined the network. And it's not going to matter that you're a dirty, disgusting hippie. What's going to matter is that you're fucking in. And that makes 20 million people and 20 million people expands the network by, you know, a factor of whatever. And that adds to the security by a factor of whatever. And that adds to the redundancy by a factor of whatever. So you bring more people on board, yeah, I mean, you know, and there will be, there will be a point of critical mass where, you know, if people say we're going to, we're going to turn it off or we're going to ban wallets or make them illegal, you're going to wind up like Emmanuel Macron in France, who is having the, uh, glamorous Elise Palace uh, showered with horse shit by these farmers that have driven their tractors out to the fucking government buildings to remind him with a manure sprayer that there are far more of them than there are of him. And so, you know, Bitcoin represents this, this chance to not completely balance, but this chance to give some power back to the people at a time where really, and I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old. I feel like the the power grab, the authoritarian power grab, you know, with COVID, with the government, with the online censorship now has just gotten out of control. And I think that's yeah. why Trump is leading in the polls and Polyev <laughs> is leading in the polls. You know, it's not because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, it helps that Joe Biden can't hear the dinner bell and doesn't know what day of the week it is like that. That certainly that helps. <laughs> but uh, but like, look at Trudeau and look at Polyev, right? Polyev is obviously a genius. He is polling way higher than Justin Trudeau. And look, you know, I spent a lot of time in Montreal. I, I know what the what the ethos is in, you know, and I spent some time in Toronto. I know what the ethos is in, in these big Canadian cities. Montreal makes, you know, liberal New York cities look like uh, the deep south. And, uh, and the fact that Pierre Polyev is actually putting up some numbers there is fascinating. And so, um, you know, I think people are just sick of it. And so all we need to do, and we, by we I mean, I'm not doing anything. I have a tattoo appointment and then I'm going out for a beer, but all <laughs> that needs to happen is that we need to direct the attention. And again, this is the Royal, we, the direct the attention of those pissed off people who, are going to feel the feel the brunt of inflation and and you know understand they're getting fucked one way or another but may not be able to describe it all you got to do is just point them this way it's all right well here's an answer here's how it protects your wealth you know you go out you clean toilets every day and you want to preserve that wealth here's the way to do it yeah. and here is the ideological shoehorn and the ethical shoehorn with which you can kind of flip a little bit of a transfer of uh, power back towards the people and, and if they see bitcoin in that light then you could see some serious shit you know well, it's not going away unless the people decide they want it to go away end of story and joy as you pointed out that that money printer goes burr meme has really penetrated the world i mean i have a lot of normie friends in my social circle my community and everything else and I mean, you know, five years ago, if I kind of said, hey, the money's getting debased, blah, blah. I mean, nobody gave a shit. Absolutely. <laughs> no, you know, and and today it's just it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning how it's on everybody's mind, everybody. And so and this is how hyperinflations or, or severe inflations, which then ultimately lead to hyperinflation. This is how they occur. 
they occur because a quorum of the people come to the conclusion that the money is no good. And it's called Gresham's Law. And, you know, they begin to figure out, okay, if the money's no good, that means I have to swap this currency for a better currency. You know, gold's a choice, Bitcoin's a choice, silver's a choice, real estate for some people's a choice, whatever. But that that swap is getting to be more and more important and more and more urgent. And I've, I've observed in my social circle, many of whom think I'm crazy and, you know, I was, I was always the crazy gold guy, you know, are now kind of listening. You know, they're aware that printer goes burr. They've, they've seen COVID. They've seen, you know, PPP. They've seen BTFP. They've seen all the shit. And, and they see the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. They see the deficits. They see the senile president, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're, you know, they're asking themselves, well, shit, what the hell can I do? You know, how do I fight back? And, uh, you know, sound money is the, is the solution. I mean, the problem, what's wrong, I mean, it's, this isn't a blue-red issue. This is a sound money, non-sound money issue. Yeah. That's really the, you know, to me, that's where the battle line should be drawn. Is you know, is I, it is it interesting to you guys? <clears throat> we'll get you out of here on this because it is a Saturday and I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I do have to run pretty soon at 11 so, so, so let's wrap up on this question. You guys have mentioned, and Chris, the reason I titled this, you know, Bitcoin and our bullshit economy is because you black out once every so often on your podcast and just rip for an hour rolling downhill on all the things that are pissing you off. <laughs> and now I, I, it. yeah, well, I mean, what else can I say? Now I know you do it in bed, which makes it even better. And I, I would just, I, I'm curious, like, what do you guys think is going to be the thing that push people, the normie over the edge into Bitcoin? We've talked about all these things. I know for me, some of the things I think about sometimes as a millennial, I got a lot of friends who are a couple years younger than me who like, as you mentioned there, Larry, like gold's a choice, equities are a choice, real estate's a choice. Those aren't choices for people anymore, man. You can't buy a house to protect your wealth. You, equities don't go up fast enough to hedge against inflation. You may as well just spend the money, right? We've seen this kind of doom loop spending. You see it in credit card deficits and stuff like that in the Fred numbers and other data from around the world. To me, Bitcoin is the obvious thing here. Like take your five bucks or 10 bucks every week if that's what you got, park it here and start to change the way you think and see what you can do with this thing over the course of five years or 10 years or, or a cycle, a having cycle, let's say. What do you guys think is going to push people to that? I would say, first off, just to that, I would say I, that I don't necessarily agree that it's the only thing. I would say diversify, and that's you know what I do. I would say diversify away from you know the dollar, um, and so you know I buy uh, foreign equities and uh, you know hard, any type of hard asset or sound money, Bitcoin included, but not limited to Bitcoin because there is a disproportionate amount of risk with Bitcoin that there isn't with you know, the stock market or that there isn't with real estate. And so, and those things do go up in an inflationary environment. They just don't go up, you know, enough in real terms. But if you want to pick stocks instead of throwing your money into an index, you might be able to, to outperform. Um, the, you know, I think the thing that, and I wrote about this, this is that article I wrote a couple of days ago called the catalyst that could standardize Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just trying to answer the exact question that you're asking, like, what is it going to take? And I think the next financial crisis, um, which it, it, it doesn't have to be a 2008 where the system is on the verge of collapse and there's a bailout. It could just be inflation running out of control. You know, inflation going back up to four or five percent and the Fed not being able to stop it. That'll catalyze some people to get pissed off. I mean, that'll be a huge deal. So that next big point in history, whatever it is where the people decide they've had enough with Wall Street, you know, this happens every 20 years or 15 years or 25 years, that next point where people get fucking angry, um, Bitcoin will be there. And I think that is going to 
have a lot of people looking at it for the first time and looking at it in ways that they haven't before. Yeah, I, Joey, I got to run here literally in two minutes, but I, I think that's right. I think the answer is something's going to break. The government's going to respond and react to that break. That response is going to be to print more money. And this time people get it. They know. They know right. what happens when you print more money. Right. You get serious inflation and gasoline goes from $2 to $4. And, and they're going to, It's they're, you know, they're like, oh, I get it. I've seen this movie before. It just happened with COVID. Yep. And so, so every, you know, when you, when they see this pattern repeating and repeating and getting larger and larger and happening more often and more often, it just, it, you know, they're going to be driven into the camp, into the sound money camp. And, um, and they you know, didn't know that in 2008, Larry, yeah. you know, when they right. protested against the bailouts, they were protesting against the disproportionate allocation the of, their of it all. Right. They, yeah. Right. They were, pro they were protesting the socialized losses and the privatized profits. Right. Now they have a brand new, fresh memory of how badly <laughs> inflation robs them of everything exactly. they work for. And that that's, will be on the exactly forefront right. of their mind. So it's just the cumulative hurts and they, and they're coming faster and harder. And, you know, it's it's like a frog being boiled. You know, the water's getting really damn warm. The frog's just like, get me the right. hell out of here. So, yeah. um, so it'll really drive me to think. Guys, I really got to run. I, I made a commitment with my wife. So um, I'll let you guys continue. Yeah, have, have a good one. Thanks, Take Larry. Okay, Cheers, good surprise, man. Good to see you. Yeah, nice hey, I, see you. I, uh, I'm glad he came. I, I, I'm going to get you out of here too, Chris, on, on, on this here. What is it, in your view, that the gold bugs – are just not getting about Bitcoin. What is it? You said a little bit about the well, history. They, they don't understand. Well, I think, you know, look, I think there's a fair amount of people that don't understand how it works. There's a fair amount of people that are scared of it because it's digital. It's, it's very different than gold. You know, people go to gold because their great, great, great grandfather who fought with General Custer in the Civil War fucking had gold coins and you know they inherited their collection from them in the 1920s their father did and their father passed that down to you know the silver coins that grandpa left and and it's got this big long immense storied history and it's tangible and it there's a bid for it outside of being money it's used in you know it's used in electronics it's used in jewelry um <clears throat> It's used in aerospace. It's used in uh, dentistry. So there are some use cases for it and a bid for it outside of being uh, sound money. And so it just has an immense, very safe track record. And that's why I love it, too, is the fact that it is bar none the safest thing that I think you can buy. I think gold is probably the safest. So much so that I think buying it really isn't even... <clears throat> It's not a bet to make money in real terms so much as it is a way to preserve your wealth. And so, you know, that is, there's a lot of people like Peter Schiff, they'll just tell you that like, that's all you need to know. And, and if you ask me, I think gold still does usurp Bitcoin in terms of where it, you know, where it exists on the foundation of sound money. Um, I think gold is sounder money than Bitcoin. I don't know if that'll change at some point. Um, it would take, I think, worldwide mass adoption and governments to kind of make it the standard for their respective countries and the reserve for their respective countries. Um, you know, when central banks start holding Bitcoin, then talk to me, but they don't, you know, but for El Salvador. And so, you know, gold really is still the king. If you are a conservative, you know, person that wants to protect their capital that 
want something they don't have to worry about. They want something they don't have to check the price of every day. They don't want, they want something they don't have to worry about 10, 20, 30% swings in over the course of two weeks or a week. Those people want to own gold. So I think that that's one uh, argument for it. And I think that understanding the network and the way that it works and the cryptography and, you know, there's, there's like 15 core concepts that you need to understand to even understand Bitcoin. You can't just explain it to somebody. You can't just sit down and in two minutes, you know, describe how secure SHA-256 hashing is or what it is. You know, most of nine, nine people out of 10 couldn't tell you what hashing is to begin with. Hmm. I couldn't have fucking probably given you a definition of hashing a month ago that made any type of coherent sense. And I was a computer science major. And so like, you know, there's so much to understand. You don't just say, all right, well, it's just a type of currency because people have so many questions. Well, you know, it's digital. Is it is it secure? Is it not safe? How do we know it's going to be there? How do we know governments aren't going to ban it? The more research you do, the more those questions answer themselves. And you start to get to the point where I'm at now, which is kind of seeing it as an unstoppable uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that is going to bloom in some way. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, what that looks like, I don't know, but I'm convinced that it, it will, that it's going to come into its own in some right. And so, but I mean, if you ask me tomorrow, like what what's one asset I absolutely must own for the next hundred years, I'm going to tell you gold. I'm not going to tell you Bitcoin. And so um, I think, uh, I think understanding it and, and the risk profile, um, those are two really big things. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of those things. I don't know, you know, I think you guys, you and Larry make a good point, you know, for the near term, I don't know if five, if five or ten is the the term I would pick, but yeah, you don't you just don't know fifty years. Pretending you're going to know fifty years from now is sort of a fool's errand. And so I may right. disagree with some of the stuff you guys think about, the, especially the goal, when but. it is the first, especially when it is the first of its kind in what is going to be a new industry, which is digital property and digital money. It's the mm-hmm. first of its kind. And so, you know, people are going to make the Facebook argument or the MySpace argument, the Napster argument, the, you know, all of the firsts that the BlackBerry argument, all of the firsts that came and went um, and were, you know, eventually improved upon. The nice thing about Bitcoin is it can be improved upon uh, while kind of maintaining the uh, the sanctity of the original code. Um, and so that's, that's a positive, but yeah, to say, <clears throat> you know, to say a thousand years, I just think that's irresponsible, <laughs> you know? And I think, look, I think Sailor's a genius. I, I have to give him a lot of credit. I really enjoy listening to him similar to the way I enjoy listening to Peter Schiff because, um, I know they're coming by it honestly. And I know that they, I know that in their minds, they are proof positive that they're right and they're just thirsty for other people to understand it in the way that they do. If I could get inside Sailor's brain right now, I would probably have 100% of my assets in Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> I don't see it the way that he does, but it's a fascinating snapshot for me to listen to him. He does a great job with all these different analogs and all these different uh, theoreticals and hypotheticals and the language he uses. Shift does the same thing, you know, has helped me kind of see the global economy and uh, taxation and the in U.S. monetary policy in this different light that I wouldn't normally uh, otherwise see, and so yeah, I forget what the question was. It's, it was just about uh, you know this whole fifty thousand year time horizon, the differences between those. Oh things. yeah, yeah, you're you're right. You're right about those things, Chris. You were a great guest, man. Uh, for a guy who doesn't 
like to do podcasts, doesn't want to do podcasts. Uh, you know, you're not too bad at it. I know you got your own uh, podcast as well. Maybe before we go, tell people where they can read you, listen to you. I got to be honest, I've been listening to the QTR podcast for a few years. And so I do enjoy uh, hearing your thoughts on a lot of things. I'm glad that uh, you came around on this and tell people where they can find uh, the other stuff you're doing. Thank you. I don't really do a ton of promotion, but my stuff is out there. And you just look for QTR. You'll see it. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, everyone. That article, for that, well, you know what? I'll, here, what? I'll, I'll promo something. That article, the catalyst that could standardize Bitcoin, is, uh, it's on my Substack and it's free. So if you want to read that and get more of my thoughts on like how I think uh, the next crisis will lead to Bitcoin. And I, you know, not to promo another podcast, but I talked about it a lot on that What Bitcoin Did podcast a couple yeah. of days ago, too. Yeah. And so, you know, those are probably two places if you, if you want some more. Was, I'm sure you can put a link in the podcast description. I, I will for sure. I will for sure. So if you want Chris's thoughts on Bitcoin economics and uh, why that one UFO guy is a fraud, QTR, Fringe Finance, and uh, the QTR Bob podcast. Lazar. That's right. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about that anytime too. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. Take care of yourselves. <laughs> Are you a fan of the old school NHL 94 game on the Genesis or SNES? Why not check out my show, the NHL 94 Podcast, from tournaments and tactics to the people who make up this community. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or find it on YouTube.